0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Break the Business podcast. It is not Ryan. It is Katie Zaccardi and Brie Noble here to guest host while Ryan is away. We're taking over.
1: Cooler than Ryan, let's admit it. We're cooler than Ryan, yeah.
0: Don't don't tell him we said that. Um, we're gonna keep this (laughs) under the radar, I gotta
1: say. But (laughs)
0: he's cool enough to let us come on consistently and take over when he's on vacation, so we have to give him credit for that. (laughs) Um, we are so excited to be your guest host for today. We've got some really exciting conversations planned, and we've got a really special guest coming up later, Hollis Wong Ware. So stick around for that. But Brie and I are really just gonna like jam out and have a, a cool conversation about the future of the music industry for the next several minutes.
1: <laughs> so I'm excited to dive in, Brie. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I wish I had an actual crystal ball and could tell you this, the future of the music industry, but you know, we've got our ideas about it. So, of course, we'd love to hear what you guys think as well. Uh, you can always throw that in the comments, but um, we're gonna be talking a little bit about. You know, the future of being an artist and how you can, uh, you know, be as aware as you need to about what you need to be doing in the industry and, you know, where you should invest your time and your money and all that kind of stuff to, to make progress as an artist.
0: Yeah. And if you don't know Bree and I already, which if you listen to this podcast, you probably do because we were on like two weeks ago, but <laughs> <laughs> two months ago, but that's, okay. oh yeah, <laughs> I was on two weeks ago. So <laughs> I forget. Um, and then we were on together two months ago, but, um, we're both coaches in the music industry and we help indie artists and we help other music industry coaches and teachers start their businesses as well. So, obviously, like all of you we're we're in the music industry every day and we're observing what's going on and I think right off the bat that there is a huge shift happening slash about to happen in the music industry right now and it's not a secret obviously the pandemic changed a lot of things it forced things to go online and it shut down live gigs for a while um but I think that whether or not that would have happened, there's a huge shift to the online space as well as the coaching industry space being more prevalent in the music industry. And a lot of musicians already are investing in themselves and getting support. But the way I see it, and I'm so curious if you see it the same way, Bree, or if you have a different opinion on it, but I think that coaching is going to be so much more important. And here's why. Record labels are no longer just like finding you in a bar and signing you to develop you as an artist. They want their majority record labels and publishers are signing. People who have already developed themselves. They've already grown on social media. They've already had traction. They've already created a solid foundation at the very least that labels know they can monetize and, you know, make money off of cause you're already making money and sort of take to that next level. So with that being said, Again, we kind of already know this, but I think there's gonna be even more of an emphasis on if you want to be a successful artist, you have to develop yourself. You have to build the foundation yourself. You have to get the traction yourself. Well, what does that mean? How do artists do that? Like they're not superhumans. Well, you have to get help. You have to get coaches, you have to, you know, take courses, you have to educate yourself so that you have the ability to do it all without like spending every waking hour on Google. <laughs> so That means obviously there's going to be more people looking for coaches to further their careers. And because artists are going to have to do a lot of this work to be able to be successful, you know, you have to make money while doing that. So, one thing i see happening is a lot of artists taking on side hustles if you will or additional streams of income to be coaches and to coach other people or teach other people whether it's teaching voice or guitar or coaching on stage presence or branding or whatever it is that their expertise is they're also going to be starting to coach more people as another stream of income so you sort of have this cycle where like more people are becoming coaches to make more money and more people are needing coaches to further their career. So I see this being a huge money maker in the industry and a huge direction that the industry is going in the next several years. But what do you think, Brie?
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I would say, first of all, about the record labels. I mean, I know plenty of artists in my community who have told me, you know, I knew I had to develop myself. I knew I had to figure this out because there's no development anymore. And a lot of times once they put in the effort and they really got some traction for themselves, what a record label could offer them was not appealing to them anymore because they had yeah. to give up their control. They had to, they realized, oh my gosh, like I put in all this effort, but now I'm reaping all the rewards from this. I don't want to give that away to somebody else. How do I know that they're going to do as good a marketing as I am? And yeah. how do I, I actually had someone asking me on a call today about this in my rock your next release program. They're like, should I be pursuing like label deals for marketing and stuff of my album or EP? I'm like, you have to remember what they're going to ask you to give up. Like, they're not just going to do that for you for free.
0: Yes. you know, and you Or, have or get, like hand you money. Like, right. I feel like a lot of artists think, oh, I need to get signed by a record label, be- label because then they'll just, they're just going to hand me like a huge chunk of money And that's not how it works.
1: (laughs) Even if they did, they're taking that off the back end for sure. And so they take that right off the top of what what you would get as far as royalties and things like that. Um, So it's not like it's just free money. It's like people that think that their tax refund is free money. No, that was your money that they took (laughs) away and they're now giving it back to you because you should have had it a long time ago and made interest on it. Yes. (laughs)
0: Yes. That is such a good point.
1: (laughs) So, you know, so many people, after they go through what they really need to go through to build themselves up to the point where a label would even take notice of them, they're like, yeah, you can keep your deal because I've got a good thing going here. I already have invested in myself to build up these skills and I've built this relationship with my audience and why should I just hand that over to you when you have no relationship with my audience? You know, I'm the one yeah. that has control over that. And I see it even with, with people that are on labels, like they don't have the kind of relationship with their audience that Indies do because yeah. the label is controlling everything and the label is making everything all corporatey and weird and like putting up this wall between the artist and the, and the people Totally. And so they never really get to develop that relationship. So you're investing in yourself to learn how to market yourself and how to run as a business and be able to nurture your audience and all that stuff. That is a long-term investment, and it's going to keep reaping rewards. And you're going to realize that that was worth so much that you're not going to want to give that away to some record label later on.
0: Yeah, and you know, I'm not necessarily anti record label across the board or publisher. I think I used to work at a publisher. So I actually think that like publishing deals in particular can be really helpful for artists because um, it's, it's very specific. You know, obviously it can be very lucrative um, to have a team that's supporting you in that way. But I do feel like there's this misconception that it's like, everyone just wants to get signed when that might not be it might not be the best for you. It might not be the most lucrative option for you down the line. And it's not as easy as you would think. Like you still have to end up putting in so much time, energy hours and work to get to the point where you would even get signed in the first place. Cause like we said, nobody wants to
1: do the A and R. They don't want to do
0: the development anymore. They just want to do the.
1: (laughs) So many artists on my podcast who say like, I got a record deal and I realized that that was just the beginning. Because Mm. they're just going to do everything for me like I originally thought. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe, you know, give me some support and they have some, you know, all these different like resources and departments to support me. But I still have to be out there on the ground level doing the work. I can't just sit back or, you know, hang out in my studio. Making music and and performing and not doing any of the marketing stuff, no matter what, even if you're with a label.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that being said, I, again, I just feel like it really brings in the importance of being willing to invest in yourself. And we might sound super biased right now. I don't know. Maybe it comes across that way because like we're both coaches, right? I mean, w- whatever. I personally don't care if you invest in my programs. It's not about that. It's just about, like the the fundamental discussion of like if you're not getting help, you're doing it the slow
1: way, (laughs) like point blank. I I mean, the thing is though, you know, yes, we are a little biased, but we're also, we are speaking from experience. You know, we've built our businesses and we've invested tens of thousands. I can't even tell you how many thousands of dollars I've invested in coaches and courses and programs and help in order to get my business to where it is now. And that's just exactly what musicians need to do. You are all businesses and you need to know how to properly market and how to, you know, have a presence online and all that stuff. And it's not like, it's just something like Katie said earlier that you can just Google, like you can read a lot of free stuff on it, but you're not going to get number one, like a step-by-step strategy. Number two, um, be able to cut that learning curve of like spending all this time reading. I remember when I first started my business, I would spend so much time like reading articles and watching Mm -hmm. videos and thinking, Oh, this, you know, this is going to be the next, the piece of information that I need to like unlock, you know, and that is not what I needed. What I needed was to work with people that have been where I want to go. Yeah. And they can help me unlock that so much faster.
0: Yeah, exactly. Now we were talking before the, sh- well, when we were planning for the show and we were like, we got to talk about like free advice versus paid advice, <laughs> because I just know that a big hesitation, if anyone thinks we're biased or thinks this conversation is annoying or is just sort of like, ah, dang it. I'm bummed to hear that the industry is going this way. Cause I do not want to pay for coaches or for programs. And I get it because so many musicians feel broke and maybe are broke and aren't making the money that they want to make for music because of how much the landscape has changed and that's understandable but I think we need to have a conversation about like the real difference between getting free advice and like what is a mentor versus a coach how has this changed in the music industry because I see a lot of people too who are like oh I'll just get a mentor who will teach me how to like do this for free um I don't even think that really exists anymore in the music industry like I don't really see a lot of people doing that as options do you
1: um, maybe like on a very micro local level, if they yeah. can find somebody that, you know, that their mom knows this person that, you know, like, that's the way that you really find an actual mentor that is willing. And they usually that person, here's the problem though. Um, the problem with that is that a lot of times mentors are older and there's nothing wrong with older, but I know that there are people that have seasoned industry people that maybe, you know, our friends would be like, oh my gosh, I know this person. They've worked in the music industry for 30 years. You should talk Mm -hmm. to them. But they don't know today's industry. They are still living in the industry that they came up in and that they are an expert in and all of that. And some of them haven't realized that things have changed or they just haven't (laughs) caught up. And it's not their fault, you know. I mean, there's, well. a lot has changed quickly. I mean, it is, but, you know, they need to stay up on it. But a yeah. lot has changed very fast. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah,
0: I'm really glad that you're getting to, like, the real juice of this conversation because <laughs> that is exactly it. And <laughs> I have been known to talk about this in a very harsh way, too, and just basically be like, there are so many executives out there or, like, people who mentor out there or people who think that they are, like, hot stuff in the industry who are just simply outdated and like are giving bad advice and are think are not keeping up with the actual reality of where the music industry is going. And I will say that I've spoken to a lot of people who have the same perspective as, as we do as to where it's going, but a lot of people who still don't or a lot of people who are still stuck in like the old way Or even they might see where the music industry is going, but they're just like lamenting like, oh, I wish it wasn't this way or I wish we could bring back CDs and I wish that this was still the case. It's not like we have to move on. We have to move on. We have to just be okay with the way it is. I mean, I'm not saying settle for things that aren't working, but like we have to acknowledge that this is the way life is now. This is the way the music industry is now. You're going to get ahead and on top of things by going with it instead of just like wishing it was some other way. And by getting advice by people who get it and are forward thinking instead of people who are like, in my day, I did this because that's just like, it's not helpful.
1: No, it's not helpful. And it's true. in so it's not just the music industry, like every industry. Like I think about, you know, I I was a business major as well. And I learned accounting. And are we still using like ledger books? No, no, we're doing that anymore. Like you don't even need, do we still even use checkbooks? No, like we don't, yeah. I'm not teaching my kids how to use a checkbook. We need to move on. I to use a checkbook once, once per month,
0: twice per month when I go to my acupuncturist and then I, they that's don't it. don't take Zelle or. Not, actually, or I probably could pay your cash, but I don't, but I don't know how to balance a checkbook. Like right. remember when that used to be a thing? It's like, no, nobody does that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe my grandma, but that's pretty much it. Um, but it's so true. It's like you have to keep up with with the times. And I, with that conversation about like free advice versus investing in real coaches, I think um, I I, don't, I had someone at a conference once a couple of years ago. We were just talking and I was there as as a coach, like as a mentor doing like mentor sessions, like quick 10, 15 minute sessions for people to get advice. Um, and in those scenarios, I sign up and I just like give my time because I want to, but of course those artists are paying for a ticket to go to the actual conference. So they are still investing in that experience and expecting to get something out of it. But I had someone say, you know, I think I'll just try to find a mentor. Like I don't want to pay for coaching. I think I'll just try to find a mentor. And I ended up writing an email to my list (laughs) and, and doing a social media post about this, of just being like, what, what is the difference between the two? Because they're really not the same anymore. And um so many times I've had people to say, you know, young entrepreneurs starting out, people in the music industry starting out, young artists starting out, "Oh, can you listen to my music and give me advice? Oh, can you pick can I pick your brain about how you got here?" And I say no a lot of the times. And I I had a coach um once who she would be pretty outspoken about the fact that she doesn't do coffee dates. And for a while, I was like, eh, I don't know if I love the way she's approaching this. It's kind of like off-putting. But at the end of the day, whenever I would, whenever someone would approach me, I, I just didn't have the time to give people advice for free when my job is to guide people through it. And it's not because I'm like trying to be elitist in any way. It's because the time and energy that it takes to actually make a difference can only really be done in a paid scenario and that that might be really hard to hear for some people and I, I might be like ruffling some feathers right now.
1: <laughs> but no, I mean it's we pour into our students, right? And we really want to get to know them. We want to get to know like what is it that's underneath that's stopping them because so many times it's not that they don't know what to do. Yeah. Right? Like you can so Google this like, stuff. Yeah. And I feel like mentors, you know, they can kind of give direction, kind of like High level, a surface level, like you should do this, you should think about this, you should look at this, but not really get into like, okay, what's the mindset behind that? Why is that? Why are you not doing that? And, you know, why do you feel uncomfortable about doing this? Or what's stopping you about doing this? Or what are you thinking around this that's just derailing you? You know, so much of coaching is mindset or just like flipping a switch of like seeing a thing in a different way that they're not seeing. And that's, what's getting them stuck. Cause I get some questions from my, my students and it's like, when I'll say something and I'll just give them a totally different perspective. And they're like, Oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. And it like, they've been stuck on this thing for weeks and it just flips it for them. Yeah. But that's not something you can do in a free coffee date. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I had someone once ask me for one and I said no. And she was a little annoyed, I think. And then several months later, we were talking about a podcast interview. And um, she was like, I totally understand why you said no. (laughs) She was like, now that I have a little bit more experience, I totally understand why you said no. Um, But it's hard because it's not that we don't want to help people. It's just a matter of like, the actual results. Like, I mean, the other thing too, is I was thinking about this because I, I do have mixed feelings about it. Like when I graduated college, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. And I reached out to my network. I did a ton of networking and I actually had a lot of coffee dates with people, um, who were in working in sync licensing. Cause I thought that I wanted to maybe go into that at the time. And I talked to them about their careers and all this stuff. And like, I was obviously trying to get a job and I look back at that time and up until very recently, actually until we've kind of like restarted this conversation prep preparing for this podcast. But up until recently, I would always say, I feel kind of bad for not doing coffee dates or like not doing any of these things because all these people helped me and they took time out for me. And they did this for me when I needed it. And then I really thought about it. And I was like, none of that actually made any difference in my career. Like literally none, (laughs) a lot of times. It didn't even get me that much clarity as to what I wanted to do. And honestly, if it, if it did get me clarity, it was probably just one or two of the conversations, not all of them, because the, the things that moved me forward were more so doing and learning and not just like asking, do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and I think that the coaching, like getting coaching support and joining programs is part of the doing and learning because it's more about the implementation and learning tangible strategies and putting that into action, as opposed to just like picking people's brains. Um, and I think there's, that's, there's a stage for that on um, for everything. But that's also where like, I think the free Instagram content comes in or like DMing someone to get their quick opinion on something or, or figure out what direction to go in. And that's where things are kind of different. It's like now we're more available online and social media than we are in person and f- around these other modalities. So it's just really fascinating to watch the landscape and to see where things are going and like where I think artists should be putting their attention and time and money.
1: Yeah, and I think that when you look at like the value of what someone is offering wouldn't you say that generally when you get something for free from someone who's supposed to be like a professional, like, let's just say that, you know, someone said, Oh, I'm i I'm a lawyer, but I do, I do everything for free or I'm an accountant. I'll do my taxes for free. Like yeah. do I trust that person? No, know, <laughs> because why would they do it for free? Like when they could get yeah. paid for it. Yeah. I don't know. That's just, in a way I feel that way. And as far as like the Instagram stuff, yes, we are more available and it's not like we just go, no, I'm not going to answer your question. Like we we answer, (laughs) but we can't go in depth. We can't, you know, the difference between someone saying, um, you know, to me on Instagram, like giving me their whole backstory and saying like, I'm trying to figure out like in what order should I release these singles and blah, you know, I can't answer that on Instagram. But yeah. I can answer that if in, they're in my program and they come onto a call with me, and I'm able to like talk through it with them.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and as you were saying, I was like, the only the only thing I won't answer on Instagram is when people DM me and they're like, "Hey, could you listen to this song?" Or like, "Hey, could?" <laughs> or they just like DM me links. I have a choice oh, words no, to say no about DMing that. Links. <laughs> this is a no no. I'm sure it's been talked about on the podcast before, but I do feel like I have to say it. Do not do that. <laughs> And that's, I think that's also like the epitome of this conversation is that for me, the new music industry is all about relationships and it probably was before too. But again, it's in a different way. Like it's not just about like emailing record labels and emailing venues and emailing random people in the music industry who have blogs, or I don't know why they're emailing or DMing me as a coach. I'm like, what do you think I'm going to do for you? Review your song, like post it on my stories. Like I don't, I don't understand what the ask even is, but um, it's not about just like blasting your stuff out everywhere. It's about creating intentional relationships with people who are going to pull you up, whether it's by like, Uh, you know, teaching you what you need to do to to level up or whether it's people who are also musicians who are striving in the same way you are and who are maybe a couple steps above you. And so they can kind of like elevate you in that way. It's about building actual relationships. Like everything in my career has been off of relationships. And again, not surface level ones, not coffee date ones, but really deep, meaningful relationships that I've made and cultivated and worked hard to maintain.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And Okay, I just have to say this because you mentioned the the links and the DMs. What's even worse is when like if we're highlighting a song from one of our women of substance artists and someone puts the link, "Oh, do you like this? Check out my song and they put it like in the comments where I'm like, <laughs> we're trying to highlight this artist. like don't try to it's like walking on the stage while someone's performing.
0: Oh That's yeah,. Not cool. <laughs> I seriously, like, probably, like, once a month on Instagram, I do, like, a post or a reel or a story about, like, don't DM me this stuff. Because it's just, it's so annoying. And I know that, like, artists have experienced it themselves where other artists have DM'd them. Like, hey, can you pre-save my single out of nowhere? Like, I haven't talked to you in in months or years or maybe I don't even know you and you're dming me like hey can you pre-save my song or like hey can you listen to my new single like no I won't do that because I don't know who you are and I'm not going to take time out of my day to do this but maybe if you had DM'd me months before it came out and started talking with me and cultivating a relationship
1: with me I would be more inclined to do so well, and that's a good example of being in programs with other artists. Cause I know you do one-on-one, but you also have your mastermind and I have my membership and you know, you get to know other artists in there and you can support each other. Yeah. And then you're not randomly DMing them out of nowhere. You're actually talking to a friend saying, Hey, would you be willing to share that? And of course they're going to go. Absolutely. And then you do the same for them. Or
0: if you're really cultivating relationships with people in general, they'll probably share it without you having to
1: ask. so true. Just saying. I know this person and they're
0: so awesome. I want to share them. Exactly. Like good friends and good people will do that. Not everyone, obviously. You know, it's not like you can count on everyone to just go out of their way to do it. But even still, like a lot of the times you'd be surprised how people will do that for you when you are actually focusing on, having a relationship with them and not just like spamming them with links or content or using people to like get ahead. That's the other thing too. I think that why having a coach is great is because like, you're not, you're not just like using anyone. You're not like playing the game. You're just getting actual advice in in a container where that's the whole goal of it. And you don't have to be, I, I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of people out there who it's like, Oh, I'm networking with this person just so I can like, know them and i'm i'm going to all these networking events just to like broaden my reach and, and broaden all these people that i know but i'm never gonna talk to them until i need something <laughs> and that just like rubs me the wrong way <laughs> like i don't think that's oh, yeah. the approach
1: for sure i mean a great example of this is actually my friend mike warner i just had him on the podcast uh came out yesterday and his new version of his book work hard playlist hard just came out um but Like he and I have had a relationship for a while. And then he came to me and he's like, I'm looking for people to contribute to the book. I'm like, cool. I don't know if I have anything interesting to say, but here I just came up with something and he's like, That's awesome. He put it in the book. I put him on my podcast. Like we have this symbiotic relationship. Yeah. And it was never like, Oh, well, I'm only gonna have you on the podcast if you put me in the book. Like I had first, like, oh, your book's coming out. That's awesome. I want to feature you on the podcast before he even asked me to put something in the book because I know what he has is valuable. I, you know, he's been an amazing like supporter of mine and all that. And we are just mutually supporting each other. I want to promote his book. I'm not getting anything out of it other than I know that artists that are going to use it are going to get so much out of it because I've actually read it. So, you know, that's the kind of relationships that you want to build. Not that you, you only have it in order to get something out of it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and this is so interesting because it 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 goes to other aspects too. Like, so I am just wrapping up a program where we um, help artists launch their Patreon's, or I'm wrapping up the launch for that program. One of the biggest mistakes that people make with Patreon is approaching it from a place of like, "Please help me, I'm poor musician, like pay me money to do it." I need to pay my bills. Yes, exactly, and that may be true, like. That, that may be true. You're obviously doing a Patreon to make money. Like we're not trying to pretend that those things aren't the case, but when you approach it solely from that angle and you have absolutely no regard for like what your patrons are going to get, what the experience they're going to get is. And the fact that they're really only going to join it again. Yeah. Your mom's probably going to join just because she wants to support you. And maybe a couple of other people or a handful of fans are going to pay you $1 or $5 a month, just because, but if you want to grow, you have to approach it from a place of like, Hey, you're actually going to get something out of this. And this is for you. And you want to join this for this reason, because it's going to serve your life in some way. And if there's like one piece of advice I could give it is to approach everything you do in the music industry from a position of how can I serve others and that I find is not the innate way that musicians think because it's normally like I do music for me it fulfills me so much I write these songs it's coming from my heart I just want to get it out there I just want to make money from it and I'm not saying again that there's anything wrong with that but at the end of the day it is becomes a selfish approach which also becomes a really frustrating approach when you feel like things aren't going your way but when you can approach everything from a perspective of how can i serve others how can i help others how can i connect with others it changes the game like so much and you would be surprised at how easily things will come to you because it it becomes reciprocal and when you serve people and when you just show up like authentically and um in a way where you are thinking of others and not just of yourself, other people notice that and they want to give that back to you.
1: Yeah, it's totally magnetic. Yeah, they, they want to be around you because you can feel it when somebody just wants something for themselves. You definitely can. I get enough. Oh, so many emails of people that want to be on my podcast. And there's such a different, like just like a tenor of the the writing of when they've actually like checked to see, you know, what I've covered on the podcast and maybe where some gaps are and how they can serve me. Yeah, uh, with what they have to to say versus just I'm this and I'm that and I did this and you know what I mean? Ugh. Yeah. Completely. That's another
0: email I'll delete. If you pitch to be on my podcast and you have literally no idea what my podcast is about, I'm not responding to you. <laughs> No. So pro tip, um, but I love that. And with that being said, speaking of guests on podcasts, we should probably bring our guests on in just a second here. Yay. Well, is there anything you want to say, Bree, just as we wrap up this conversation before we bring
1: the amazing Hollis on? I I feel like we said so much, but I think one big thing when you're looking for a coach or someone to pour into your music career just make sure you find someone you like. Like, I feel like the people that I work with, I really enjoy them. And I know in in our program out to launch, one of our students was like, you know, we asked them to describe like, what are their perfect clients? And she's like, they're fun. They would be my friends if I wasn't working with them. Yes. And I think that that is so important because you're going to be so much more receptive to somebody that is on a similar wavelength from you that you feel comfortable with. I have many students that have been like, Oh, I've, I've been in these other programs or I've worked with this person or that person. And they just like, they were speaking another language or they just didn't understand me and my situation. And they were, I don't know, but you just need to make sure that whoever you work with is, is going to serve you and you're going to feel comfortable. Like, actually talking about real things with them and not pretending that everything is okay and and you've got everything under control and you're all good because then what's the reason of having a coach you got to be honest with them so yes
0: (laughs) that is so true i'm going to one of my longtime clients weddings in october so like literally it's if you really pick a good coach like you can become friends with the people that you work with because I mean, that's really the ideal relationship. It's like you're creating a relationship on multiple levels and it's a win-win for everyone because not only are you growing, but you're doing it in a way that is enjoyable and in containers that are enjoyable uh, and with people that you like. <laughs> and that, I mean, listen, you only have so much time. You want to spend right. it wisely. That's right. Um, okay. Amazing. So... Without any further ado, (laughs) let's go ahead and bring up our guest for our podcast today, Hollis Wong Ware, who is an indie artist doing really, really cool stuff. Um, So we are super excited to talk with her, and uh, maybe we can see what her perspective on the music industry is. Hi, Hollis.
2: Hi, how's it going?
1: Hey. Good, how are you?
2: I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. I just watched one of your YouTube videos this morning, and I love... I love your delivery. I love how you break everything down for artists um, into very understandable chunks. Um, so yeah, I would love to know. First of all, just a, just give a little bit of background um, on yourself, and then like seriously, what do you what do you feel like are kind of the trends in the music industry right now? Oh, okay. <laughs>
2: Laying questions. it on thick. Right? Let's, let's, break, let's break it up. Yeah. Okay. Wait. First question. Sorry. The second question made me. Well, first, question, first question, who are you? Who am who are- I? <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Hollis. i uh, full name Hollis Wong Ware, and I go by Hollis as a musician. And um, I'm just a creator who loves music, and I have been working as an independent artist for 13-plus years at this point. Um, I started out in spoken word poetry and slam poetry, and that was kind of the foundation of my creative practice and also um, – Kind of my philosophy and the work that I do as being intrinsically tied in with community and community organizing. Um, I was in my first rap group with my best friend in college that we started when we were 19 because we loved hip hop music, but we didn't see anybody like us making music. And we just kind of wanted to be involved in the local scene. And we transferred our poetic uh, proclivities into rap. And then, uh, and that was in Seattle. And so through being in Seattle and uh, being kind of embedded in the music scene there, that's where I got my first start in co-writing and tour managing and co-managing successful, independent artists. And um, that's where I was able to kind of see the possibility of being an indie artist and not seeing my music as just kind of this like thing that I did on the side that was invariably going to make me broke. started reworking all of those. I'm sure as coaches, you're always thinking about the mindsets and the mentalities um, that we need to rework. So um, yeah, so I was in Seattle for a number of years making music, first with my rap group, Canary Sing, and then when I finally like found my voice, I started singing with my band, The Flavor Blue. Um, I also collaborated with Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. Um, very organically, I started as a music video producer with them, and then I ended up being a co-writer and then a featured vocalist, and then a vocalist on tour slash associate tour manager. Uh, So I've done like 10 different jobs with them, but um, they're, you know, obviously like success um, was able to open doors for me as a songwriter. And so I found myself here in LA um, about, I moved here almost six years ago. Uh, to pursue songwriting as my career, and you know that's been a journey that we can talk about more. But um, I'm now working on solo music and uh, also just doing my best to be an advocate um, and a resource for other independent artists that are navigating this wacky world like me. So that's me.
1: That's awesome. I love all of that. And wow, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, that's really cool. And you probably got to see a ton from that vantage point. What have, what did you take from that into your career as an indie artist? I mean, everything. I I don't know if I
2: would have had the true courage to pursue my own artistry. Um, if I hadn't had that working relationship and collaboration, I mean, I was listening to what you guys were talking about earlier and the idea of like mentorship versus, you know, I mean, coaching is one outlet, but I think my relationship with them was as a collaborator and I think you know it's a common adage that i've heard a lot is like you know there's there's the mentor mentee relationship that can seem like a one-way street but then there's the type of relationship where you're even if you are consider yourself a mentee you're bringing something something to the table like you're bringing a type of resource you're bringing energy um you're valuable to them in as in a way uh, that's different but um, still significant. And I think that that's what, you know, our relationship started out as is I was a fan of Macklemore and Ryan Lewis because they were kind of like locally famous in Seattle. And I had the opportunity to work, uh, as a music video producer for their first music video And I didn't know what it meant to produce a music video, and I had never done that before. But they were looking for somebody who was just, like, willing and eager to help and to jump in and to do what needed to be done. And, um, you know, I came in just as a helping hand, and they, in turn, like, really invested in me and, like, gave me confidence and gave me affirmation to feel like I could, too, be where they were. Um, you know, which at the time was like one 100th of where they ended up being in the course of like a couple of years. But to me, it was still significant. I was a huge independent hip hop fan in Seattle and we had a really amazing scene and we still do. Um, and just their belief in me, like that was really fostered by my willingness to work with them and to be of help and of resource to them. I think it created this very symbiotic relationship that I'm really, really thankful for.
1: That's so cool. I love all of that. And you, you do a lot of other things. Like you, you're you're an indie <laughs> artist, but you also you produce videos for Splice. You, you, I saw you were doing a partnership with like the Smithsonian. You want to talk a little bit about some of that?
2: Sure. Yeah. And I mean, all of those two things that you mentioned, my collaboration with Splice, and my and working um, as a co-curator on the Brave Space project, which is a compilation of Asian American women artists that um, are creating a body of work um, that are essentially meditations like so often the world of meditation and the landscape of meditation is like very westernized and very extracted from um, the cultures and the traditions from um, that they are inspired from and that they're taken from Um, so we're hoping to do that type of kind of cultural reclamation through the work at the smithsonian but i mean both of those are inherently musical projects and i think they really just stem out of me being a musician and also um, you know being you know inherently any musician any independent musician has had to like learn and and go through the trial and error and the trials and tribulations of learning what the music industry is what the music business is um and those two things being kind of separate and different beasts in their own way um so my work with splice um is basically just a series about just breaking down key concepts of the music business that i wish i had understood and known when i was coming up as an artist i had no idea what copyright was i didn't understand publishing and how it was applied um and even in like doing this series i'm learning constantly and like having my mind like totally blown because i think like, I do believe that these concepts are complicated by design. I think that they don't want artists to be empowered and so, or the powers that be that created these things. So I am just trying to create, um, and Bri, I appreciate, yeah, you watching it and just thinking about like, how can we break down these concepts that are again, like I believe convoluted by design into really like, Clear, bite sized terms, um, understandable, digestible, applicable. Um, just basically like providing the education that I wish that I had had. Um, yeah, and then I
1: did I... that about watching it because you were kind of like, well, you know, I realize this doesn't really make sense or they're trying to make it complicated. Like you made people feel like they don't feel bad for not understanding it because they're like, yeah, this is complicated. But I do feel like the, in, the information is out there, I, and I have a lot of artists asking me questions about this kind of stuff. And I'm always like, are they not do? I mean, are they not looking for this information, or do you think it's somehow hard to find, or the way it's described mm. online is confusing?
2: I think so. I think for me, I'm somebody where like I I feel like I have a lot of privilege and resource. I was like able to go and get a bachelor's degree in my humanities, like. I'm a total nerd. I'm a bookworm. Like I read a lot. Like I just feel like I'm somebody who I pride myself on my ability to extract information. And even in the authorship of writing that first episode on what is music copyright, it took me months. And like, so many conversations with lawyers and managers and publishers to genuinely understand Mm. and be able to explain because i think you can kind of under you can be like there's a difference between i get it and then i can explain it and i think i think for a while i was like okay i get it enough i get it enough that when i'm talking to a lawyer i can ask the right questions and understand the things but i think at the end of the day like i think a lot of information while there's a plethora of information out there how is it distilled and how is it applied? And I think, I mean, I wouldn't have made the video or felt passionate about these things if I felt like that information was readily available. So um, I'm not, like, I'm certainly not creating something original or new, but my hope is with that series to create something that's genuinely understandable and that people can use as a reference point. Like, I mean, the greatest compliment for me is when like music managers will be like, oh, I always have to like sit down to artists and explain these things. And it takes like an hour and a half, but I can just send you send them your 10 minute video and like that'll help. Like so that's I'm just trying to create things that are useful. Yeah. And I'm where I've
1: done something about my students, I'm like, I'm gonna send them this video because I have <laughs> yeah, questions thanks. about copyright. And I'm like, yeah. I'm lost it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it makes it so approachable for people. Like, I just love everything that you're talking about from collaboration to making this information accessible, because it is really important. I mean, like we were talking about earlier, like, it's so there's so much free information out there to get started with. And then you can take it to the next level by positioning yourself with other people that you want to work with by collaborating or by, you know, investing in whatever way you want. But you are someone who's like, done it all. Like you've really been able to make sure that you're getting yourself out there in the ways that are necessary. So I want to ask you, how do you balance it all as someone who's like an artist and activist doing many, many different projects, helping educate other artists? How do you do it all and stay sane?
2: Great question. Well, I think for me, you know, my there's definitely like a pre and a post pandemic reality for me. And I think first of all, I'm just somebody who I like to do All sorts of stuff. I've always been somebody who's very eclectic in my interests and like, um, you know, just multifaceted in terms of like what stimulates and inspires and motivates me. And I've never been. Sometimes I wonder if I would, if it would have been easier in a certain sense if I had had this clarity. Like I want to be a successful singer, and that's like the only thing I want to be and do. But I think for me, I've been like, I could be a professor. I could be an author. I could be. Um, a, you know, a, like a film producer, like a documentary director, like there's just a lot of things that I have thought were really interesting. And, um, you know, for better or for worse, I will kind of won't shame myself for my, the multitude of interests that I have. And um, so I think that's kind of how I work in a certain sense. On the flip side, I think like a lot of what I do now, like, you know, I think hopefully is streamlined again, like post pandemic or when, COVID hit and like that income went away, like being a live performer, which is like so much of what I did, live events, both producing and performing. um, I really had to think about, okay, like what is the work that I want to do and what's sustainable? And you know, it allowed me like in many ways, the pandemic really allowed me to really distill down like, okay, like what am I genuinely passionate about? And then how can I also separate my ego from like the sustainability? Like, I think for me, I was trying to, and I I see this with a lot of artists and I'm sure you guys do too. There's kind of this like correlation between like my validity as an artist is based on my income being solely derived from my artistry. And so there's this like, to me, like this kind of like exaggerated need to like milk your musicianship or your artistry or all the things that you do as an artist for your income to demonstrate to yourself that you're a serious artist, and I have really had to emancipate myself from that notion because I feel like it's really false. I was like, I actually have a multitude of skills that I can earn, and it, and I can do things that don't really have anything to do with music, or do things that have everything for, with me to be doing like an empowered creator. Like my work with Take Creative Control, like that's not me making music, that's not me writing music, but it's me using my skills that I developed as a music video producer and now producing storytelling stories to advance policies that benefit creators. So it's like. I needed to kind of step out of my own way and be like, how can I create like, you know, a sustainable life for myself where I'm not exacting pressure on my artistry to be the a hundred percent of how I pay my rent or and like save, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so I think to that end, like, but I will also say that like, you know, I think I, what I also realized during the pandemic is like, I'm such a collaborator by heart and I had never really like taken on the idea of like working on music solely by myself and, like, creating an album. And so I was really daunted by that. So I think I also realized, like, being creative and songwriting, like, my artistry is really important for my mental health and well-being. And, like, that's something that I am not only going to do when we're back to normal, quote-unquote, and we can, like, go to shows again and we can do the book. Because as you guys know, like, we were kind of sold this premise that, like, live is forever. Live is recession-proof. Like, put all of your eggs in live. And it's like, okay, well... Clearly, nobody accounted for the pandemic, so yeah. I kind of, you know, thinking about like, okay, well, my artistry is still really important to me, even if it's not earning me money in the in the way that's like easiest to do or the way that's like most significant to do. Um, so it's just a different relationship that I had to establish during the pandemic, but it also just made me realize I'm like, yeah, I got a lot of hours in the day,
0: a lot of hours. <laughs> in the yeah, I'm trying to actualize them. Can we just like mic drop on that? Because that was, I, um, I just wish that more artists would realize that. And I think the way you put it is so spot on because when you put pressure on yourself as an artist of like, I have to make all my income or I'm not successful, or if I don't make all my income, then I have to get a regular full-time job that I'm going to hate and put music on the shelf. And that's just not true. Like you have the ability and freedom to do ha- have a multitude of things that could, you know, are you and that you do to make money and for a living and for fun and take the pressure off. Because when the pressure's on, the art's not as good either. You know what I mean? So I'm so, so glad that you said that.
2: Thanks. And I think just to build exactly on what you're talking about, like, I think the most important thing to do, or the most important thing for artists to know is that in the job, in the work that they do, that might not be like directly correlated to their artistry. It's just really important to have paid work that like respects and ideally values you for your artistry and I think that Mm -hmm. was something I had to learn really early on where I was like okay like yeah I could bartend and make six figures a year like that is that and for some people that really really works like doing a job where you go and it's like whatever and actually I will say the service industry has always been a friend to a musician because you usually find people to fill your shifts but like you know like an office job where you're taking on a role at a company that has nothing to do with your artistry and it's if your employer sees your artistry as like a threat to your performance, then it's not going to work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I'm really, really grateful that I've been able to find work where it's like, my artistry is a value add. It's central to the reason why they feel like I'm capable of doing the work. And a lot of the work has nothing to do with me, like being an artist, but it has to be like, Oh, okay. Like, you're creative, you're collaborative, you're going to come up with solutions. Like,
0: you know, they're,
2: and they know coming in, like, okay, you're an artist. And, you know, when, when it comes time for you to go on tour, like, we're going to respect that because ultimately that's what you're going to do. And I think it is really important for people to make sure that when they're, the work that they're doing in an ideal world, like at, at the very baseline, like respects, if not, like really encourages their artistry from growing.
1: Yeah, I so agree with that. Because when I first started... I was working at an opera company, but I was working as a director of finance, but everyone there understood my artist pursuit, you know, and they understood that I wanted to reorganize my hours so I could be at rehearsal and stuff like that. And they were cool with it because of, you know, that was the industry that I was in. So I do think that that is really, that support is super important because otherwise I would have just been constantly figuring out how I was going to leave that job so I could do more music.
2: Correct. Yeah. And I think that it can be complimentary. We live in like very wild times, and there's no reason for folks to suffer like on principle if they don't have to. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> if you can get a job and have income and like do that, like people should be doing that so yeah. that they can take care of themselves.
0: Definitely. All right, well, we have to let you go in just a couple minutes here. But before we do, can you tell us about your new music that's out? Yeah. Oh.
2: Thanks for asking. Yeah, um, so yeah, I released a single called Less Like um, last month. And I'm very proud of the music video. Uh, I worked with uh, my friend K.O., who's an amazing director. And so uh, you can check that song out now. And then I'm actually just brushing off my canva and getting a treatment together for um, a music video for my next single that's going to come out called let me not um that i'm going to direct so um that's what's happening and then um i am going to be releasing my first full-length solo project in a few months so i'm really excited about that um and then yeah just doing my collaborations the one with the smithsonian asian pacific american center um, and take creative control. We're working on the second season of our storytelling series there. Um, so yeah, just got a lot of irons in the fire, but I'm really excited. I've never obviously it's a debut solo album. I've never released a solo full length before, so I'm, I'm hyped to realize that.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. That is exciting. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you know, you can really show all those indie artists that you've been working with over these years that, you know, like you can do this. I do. I know so many people that like have, have done so many things to help other artists, but they've never released their own solo projects. So it's mm-hmm. super- yeah.
0: Yeah. It's
2: scary. It's so hard. that
0: being said, Hollis, do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers mm-hmm. forward?
2: Ooh. Um, uh, what is a good, what is a question what is an answer to that point? Of question? <laughs> I'm like, I have so many things I could say. <laughs> um, I just want to, I guess, just like remember that the most important thing is to make music that you love. And it's really, really easy to get lost in the analytics and the trends and to compare yourself to death um, and to start to, to become a machine of uh, what you think is going to be gamed by the algorithm. Um, more than anything, it's like, we're not, we are not bankers. Uh, we are not like, you know, day traders. Like we're not in this for the money we're in this for the way that it nourishes and feeds both our soul and the souls of the collective good. Um, so I think if there's something that I wish I had told myself earlier on, it was to be a much more independent creator. Like I was always an independent artist and I was always like, and then I released music independently, but like I really wish that I had been like as a singer-songwriter, a lot more independent in the making of my music. Um, and I think this this next generation of artists are really, really great at it. Like I was um, just looking at this artist named Griff that I discovered today, who's like she's this incredible singer and she plays piano, and then she's like in the studio with the steel, like doing drum programming. And I'm like, this is the type of like autonomy that I love to see in artists. So it's just like as holistically as you can, try to be as independent as a creator as you can and not be too dependent on other people. Um, And then, yeah, I think just in general, like, know that investing in yourself means, like, making sure that you're good um, and don't feel like your income is correlated at all to your worthiness as an artist. Um, It's really important to just, like, Make sure that you can live a good, healthy life um, and poverty is not essential to you making great music or being a great artist.
1: Can I say amen to that? Oh my God. <laughs> amen. Well,
0: Hollis, thank you so much for coming on today. And that Thanks pretty much wraps me. up our episode. This was a blast. <laughs> it
1: was. And it was the Women Takeover episode. Oh yes,
0: my Women Takeover. We love to see it. So thank you all for tuning in. Uh, you can follow me at Katie Zaccardi and everyone else drop your handles real quick.
1: <laughs> uh, you can follow me at Profitable Musician LLC on Instagram. And, and I'm just at Hollis Wongwear. Amazing. Thank
0: you all for tuning in. This was so much fun and we'll be back next week. And I think Ryan's back. So cherish this moment before. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but it was great um, having you guys tune in and we'll be back soon. Bye everyone. Was-
1: Bye, guys.